Be the Good is all about people doing good in the world while following their passions, good for their own souls and for others. I'm Kate Cherichello, and welcome to today's episode. If you are enjoying these stories, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean so much. You can also join our Facebook community under the group title, Be the Good with Kate Cherichello. Let's spread a little more goodness in the world. So today's guest on Be the Good is Stacy Cook of Project Fit America. From their website, for the vast majority of kids, schools are the only place they are physically active. Project Fit America is a nonprofit organization that creates and administers exemplary fitness and education programming in elementary and middle schools. The program's goal is to reverse the lack of fitness in youth, to give teachers the tools they need to teach children to take responsibility for their health and embrace healthy lifestyle choices with enthusiasm. They address self-esteem, sportsmanship, finding the fun in fitness, and so much more. And I just read online that they have raised nearly $16 million for school fitness programs. So Stacey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm really pleased to have this opportunity. Thanks. And I wore some fitness gear for this interview <laughs> in honor. <laughs> I think that's so, more right. Very fitting considering what, you, what your other hat is. That's very good. That is correct. The other <laughs> half of my world, just in case a couple of the listeners don't know, I feel like many do, is the fitness industry. So I was excited to talk to Stacey also to combine all of that. So Stacey, please tell me what you do and who you are in your own words. Definitely. Uh, well, as Kate shared, my name is Stacey Cook, and I'm the founder of Project Fit America. Um, this is an initiative that I started when I was 28 years old. Um, and I am uh, <clears throat> just turned 61. Um, I'm practicing saying that it was like a cactus on my tongue for a week. <laughs> uh, so it's been my life's work. Uh, Project Fit America came to me as, a, as an epiphany. I used to sell fitness equipment to schools across the country. So working with distributor reps, my job was to contact school superintendents and convince them to uh, create a budget for for physical education, number one, uh, that would include equipment that schools could have for their students so that they could become a stronger and have a, a real valid uh, opportunity uh, to be active in schools in a way that was going to be meaningful to their health. So um, I was very good at this job. Um, it was a very cutthroat because once the budget was approved, then all the different companies would put in bids and, you know, some, sometimes uh, I would pave the way for a budget, but it didn't necessarily mean I got the budget. Somebody else could have come in. It was very cutthroat, um, but I was very good at it. Um, and then what happened is that one day um, at the, up at the front office, um, I saw the secretary was throwing away all these letters. I'm like, what are, what are you doing? Like, what are these letters you're throwing away? She said, oh, they're just requests from people for donations of equipment. I thought, hmm. And I said, you know, can I have them? She goes, sure. So I took the letters and there were hundreds of them, literally. And, uh, and I took a moment and started reading them. And the letters went the whole gamut from parents that are doing a bake sale to try to raise money for some equipment in schools to school districts, you know, asking if there were you know, any grants available. And the answer was always no. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm like, why am I selling fitness to the most wealthiest superintendents in the country 
school districts are the only ones that could afford to buy the equipment was that elite sort of 15%. I said, what if I were to sell the idea of adopting schools to corporate America and then give all the equipment away to all the schools that can't afford it? And the idea became my magnificent madness. I mean, I quit my job. Um, I'm 28 years old. Um, I've never been to any, I don't come from a family of means. It was never an option for me to go to college. So I've, I've been on my own, paying my own rent, roof over my head since I was 17. So I've always been in sales because I was very good in sales. And that was sort of my wheelhouse. And so I didn't know anything about starting a public charity and what to do. So I did the only thing that you would do back in 1989 before the internet, I lived at the library. And I lived in San Francisco at that time. And I went to the library every day, like an eight hour a day job. And I read everything you could read about how to start a charity and what are the rules and the government paperwork and what do you have to do. And, um, and from that, um, I figured out how to do this. And, uh, and because I do not have an education background in the area of which I'm going to start a charity, I had to have those people. So there was a conference in Santa Clara, California of um, school principals and, and educators. And it was an, uh, a, a conference for the whole state. And there were several presenters there. Uh, one was uh, Dr. Don Morris from Cal Poly Pomona, uh, the Office of Kinesiology director, and also Craig Cunningham, who was overseas, a supervisor of the world-renowned elementary school at UCLA. You go in there and kids are like juggling, riding unicycles. I mean, it's just a trip. And I got with both of them and shared my idea, and they both agreed to come on to my board of directors. And as a result, I was able and allowed to start the charity. So kind of uh, that became where Project Fit began. Um, by this time, it's 1990, and we're in a recession. And corporate America is slashing jobs left, right, and center. So you'll go to a marketing department that might have had a, a half a dozen people in it. Now it's down to one person. and But the same workload, but no people are there. And it's when politically, um, there was then the Bush administration was saying, we're not in a depression, we're in a recession. And that word recession was born. Uh, sort of the step above where you were. And it was just a very grim time for corporate America um, in 1990 with what was going on. So I chose hospitals to be our donors. I said, they're going to be recession proof. You're still going to have your baby. You're still going to get your hip replaced. You're still going to have your open heart surgery and your rotor tater cuff surgery or whatever you need. And, um, and it was just a match made in heaven with this initiative in hospitals. So um, there is a book, I paid $375 for it. It's called the AHA Guide, American Hospital Association Guide, as a list of every hospital in the country. And I picked up that book and started on page one and started cold calling all these hospitals across the country. Um, I contacted 600 in, the, in 1990 and 596 of them told me to have a good day, but four came forward. And that was all I needed. Those four ended up being very visionary hospitals. Um, the most notable would be Houston Sports Medicine Hospital, as in Dr. Houston, H-O-U-G-H-S-T-O-N, not Houston, the city. And he is considered the father of sports medicine. And in fact, the mouthpiece worn in the NFL and in sports, he, he invented it. 
And when he did, way back in the day, we're going back you know, 30 years ago plus, he didn't give it to the professional sport teams. He gave it to the Pop Warner kids, the Little League kids. And they grew in their sport with that level of safety. And then they took it with them as they matriculated up higher and higher. And now, of course, there's no player on the planet that will step on the field without that mouthpiece. So he saw the vision of getting with kids early and providing an intervention and became my founding state sponsor or my founding sponsor for the whole country. And once that hospital got on board, the seal of approval of proof and concept was beyond anything you could compare. And by the next year, we had gone national to 15 states. So um, I do give away 75 cents of each dollar that is earned so that schools can have this program for free. So um, what I created was not my brain trust per se. I just simply saw the need and went and filled it. So schools need equipment. Schools need curriculum. Schools need fitness training. Uh, when you get your degree in physical education, um, they don't teach fitness. They teach sports and you know, science of the body. And so you're going to have less than a third of all certified PE teachers have any formal training in fitness education. So um, there was a need for that kind of training as part of their overall comprehensive physical education uh, career. So those became the three hallmarks of Project Fit America, the equipment, the curriculum, and the training. So we have the outdoor equipment that we donate to the schools. So a school will have a regular playground where they go and play, and now they have a fitness playground where they go work out. The kids call it their Fit Pit, which we think is really cute. And uh, so it's just a great name. And so the kids call it their Fit Pit. We have indoor equipment, um, you know, weighted medicine balls, weighted jump ropes, three pound weighted hula hoops, a uh, uh, thousand cardio cups. So we can create fitness activities impervious of the weather, too hot, too cold, too humid. Um, so year round teachers have just this huge plethora of activities to offer their, their, their students. Um, what we then did is that we had schools that received our grants that created amazing programming all on their own, like well beyond any of our stuff. And um, we brought them on as a PE advisory board and as master teachers. And then we took those grant recipients and I flew them to all the new schools getting grants to train and mentor the new schools. So I ended up with this national mentor teacher project going on all over the country. So teachers teaching teachers and supporting each other. Um, and it just became something that evolved out from underneath my feet. It was no longer my good idea. Um, it did become a national initiative. So um, the, the work that I'm doing is, is meant to teach the whole child um, because if you're gonna have your time with those little rascals, why not teach them about sportsmanship and you know, uh, win without bragging and lose without complaining and how to encourage one another. Um, it's, not, it's not who's number one, it's who gives the number one effort. You know, those are the kind of things and, and mottos and, and thoughts we want kids to take with them for life. So PE teachers are amazing at bringing that to the kids because unlike other teachers in a school, 
the kids had the same PE teacher year after year after year after year. So if you're, you have a child in a K-6 school for seven years in a row, they're going to see that same PE teacher. How powerful is that? Because they are going to have such an opportunity to, to tease up and mold and create that, 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 young, that young person into the, to helping them find their, um, find their fitness self. I mean, there's an inner athlete in all of us. And what's cool about fitness is you don't need a skill set you know, to play basketball or football or volleyball or hockey, you've got to have some kind of skill set. Um, and, and also you need to practice often in order to grow your skill set. You don't need a skill set to do a sit-up. Anybody can do a sit-up. Um, it's fitness is so cool because you don't need to be genetically blessed to achieve fitness. You just need to have motivation and desire. And, um, and all of us have motivation and desire in us. It's just tapping it. And for a kid, it's even more powerful because it's a kid's real nature to run and be active and play. And they've learned to be sedentary. It is not their nature to do this at all. So it's really fun because our greatest job is to flick on that switch. And once you turn on that fitness switch, they're hooked. And, uh, and teachers tell us all the time that when Project Fit comes into a school, it removes barriers for being involved. Because it's not who's the best anymore. It's who's giving the best effort. And so uh, children that are shy, reluctant to get involved, maybe they're overweight, feel awkward. Um, or you could have the opposite where you've got a natural athlete that strives at everything. <clears throat> Fitness becomes a melting pot for all of these personalities. And they, and they, and they work together um, to, in, in a way that can't be achieved in any other, in any other setting. So we call it uh, an acronym we call TCC, which is Teamwork, Cooperation, Communication. And all of our lessons impart these values in the culture of the classroom, or in this case, in the gymnasium or on the playing field. And the kids actually become better citizens. They really do learn how to play well together. So it's, um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. So wow. That's sort of my Reader's Digest version for that question. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's, I mean, and the whole path that got you there is fascinating. I have to highlight again, 596 hospitals that you cold called said, have a good day. And you got the four you needed. And I think that is so important too for anything a person does, right? Is to just take the risk, keep asking, keep trying, because eventually someone's going to say yes. So, and that brings me to the next question, Stacy. Do you have some good news moments you'd like to share a story of a student you've helped or a school that has really, you've really seen change for the better over the years? You know, there's, there's so many, my brain almost short circuits with a question. <laughs> yes. um, there, there are so many touch moments where, um, where the difference that was made is, is so, is, is so profound. It can be, um, I mean, a simple story I can share. I have a PE teacher in Mississippi who was a K-8 school. And for eight years, she had a young man that would never wear anything but cowboy boots to her PE class. And that limited his physical activity greatly. He could not do a lot of activities in cowboy boots. Um, and he would not put on proper footwear. 
And um, we have a part of our program where we work with American Ninja Warrior and they develop some of the activities. We have a Ninja Warrior aspect of our curriculum. And so we had an American Ninja Warrior that was working with the school and working with us to develop some curriculum. And that young man wanted so bad to be in the group with the Ninja Warrior. And the PE teacher said, you know, young man, you can only do this if you wear your proper footwear. And she called me up and she goes, you're not going to believe it. He came to school in tennis shoes the first time in eight years. He was so excited to participate. He actually took off his cowboy boots. And uh, and that's that's to me was just such a sweet story about how, um, you know, just the PE teacher's pure joy was was just so rewarding. For me personally, when I started Project in America, everything was on paper, including the equipment, you know, the drawing of the equipment, the blueprints of the equipment, the, the schematics, the installation guidelines, everything is all on paper. Um, there was a prototype built and the folks from UCLA and Cal Poly that developed the, 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 the equipment design, they went back to the manufacturer in Minnesota and saw it, but I couldn't go, we didn't have the money for it. I couldn't afford to fly us all there. So I've never seen the equipment. And then we had this project with Houston Sports Medicine Hospital in Columbus, Georgia. And then I was able to go to the opening day kickoff and be a guest speaker and dedicate the program and meet all the stakeholders. And that moment when all the kids came running out of, their cl- out of the classroom onto the playing field and were all over the equipment, it was my first time to see the equipment. It was literally took every square inch of strength I had not to just stand there and bawling my eyes out because it was the first time I'd actually seen the Fitbit with my own eyes. And um, I call it a VR and that stands for vision realized. And that moment when I saw it, I knew this is the beginning of so many amazing moments and things to come for, for thousands and thousands of kids and teachers across the country. It was just you know, it was very humbling. You know, you don't say I did that. It's like, I dreamed that. And all these people came together to make that happen. You know, it was, it was just proof. Again, it was no longer my good idea. So I might wear the hat of founder, but I wear it with humility to the hundreds and thousands of people who are my co-contributors and that, you know, if it was, if we were giving a speech at the Academy Awards, this, the orchestra would be playing for a really long time because <laughs> I'd have so many people to thank. <laughs> so many. Wow. Wow. Well, and they're going to be thanking you right back. And I know they have been for years. Hey, Stacey, do you have any mantras that you say to the students or to the people you work with that, that you know, has held you up over the years? You know, <clears throat> probably the the one most dear to my heart um, is do not judge the day by the harvest you reap, but the seeds you sow. Mm -hmm. And that is a quote from Robert Louis Stevenson. And that is really uh, a life mantra for me, because when you're making all those cold calls, you're, you're planting seeds and there's, you can't see the harvest. You can't even see the sprout. So don't judge the day by that. Um, That's been uh, a mantra that, um, and, and, uh, that I'm known for. Another one that I hold dear to my heart is that there's absolutely no substitute for, there's just no substitute for working 
working with people um, who who make a difference. I mean that that are they're dedicated to making a difference. Um, on the school front, um, on on the school front, our teachers have many mottos that they share with the kids. Um, probably the most important one that we have is again, it's not who's number one, but who gives the number one effort, and we we celebrate that effort given because it is the spark of any project you're gonna work on in your whole life. The decision to try is the single greatest motion forward to goal attainment. And until you take that first step to try, it's only a good idea. And a good idea is as worthless as a piece of paper it's written on. You must back it up with action. And not just action that's casual, but a deliberate action that that reflects a passion that tells the universe get busy because i'm i'm making waves here you know so i feel very um i i don't know i just i feel very um compelled by those ideas and it's been apparent through just hearing you talk about project fit america over the years that you said there's an idea and we are not just sitting with it we are making it happen yes absolutely uh, i i think too from our work in field, um, the mantra has always been expect the unexpected because, and that served us well during COVID as well. But um, oh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely have a, um, it's funny after the, after this, the scope of 32 years, when you, when you think that you've got a, there's nothing autopiloty about running an, an initiative, a charitable initiative. Um, Actually, there really should be nothing autopiloty about anything you're involved with, be it your career, your marriage, your relationship with friends and family. It should constantly be renewing and reestablishing itself, finding new mottos uh, and, and rediscovering old ones. You know, you, you run across it. Oh, I completely forgot about that. You know, it's uh, there's it's the constant evolution that is the sum total of what I think makes passion continue to fire itself. Now that sets up so perfectly for my last question is if someone came to you and they wanted to make a difference, but they didn't know where to start, what would you tell them? And I feel like there's been so many nuggets dropped throughout this whole conversation, but just to put it in one answer. If somebody came to me and said they wanted to to make a difference, um, I would ask them to take a look around in their immediate life and whatever speaks to them most strongly is the step they need to take. Um, because making a difference can be a very private journey and anonymous. It doesn't have to be a, a gesture like, like such as mine starting a national charity. Um, it, it can be a quiet difference um, that's, that's done in a very subtle way. Um, I always encourage people to take baby steps um, and, um, there's the saying, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. And I, I can't think- believe you said that somebody, just another guest in this season <laughs> said that exact quote, and I'd never heard it before. Oh, sorry yeah, to interrupt I, you, but I just had to comment so, well, you know, something I, in the air with that. Uh-huh. I've always, uh, I forget who told it to me, but that's really what waking up in the morning. It's like, it's like a shampoo bottle, la- lather, rinse and repeat. When you, when you want to start something new and you want to make a difference, you need to do something daily towards that goal. It doesn't have to be a big something, but each little seed planted uh, creates a little bit of a pathway. 
And all of a sudden you look behind you like, wow, you look, look how far we've come. And so um, making a difference, number one, has to be something very personal to you um, so that you can enjoy the journey because it's not always going to be a happy one. You know, uh, it will be filled with great reward and joy, but um, it's still always going to be to some degree an uphill battle because you're going to be blazing a trail and it takes time for, for that trail to manifest itself. So one day at a time is corny, but true. Uh, one bite at a time, corny, but true. Um, but most importantly, just listen to your heart and that which lays on it most heavy um, in terms of what excites you most to want to make a difference that's sustainable to your life and your lifestyle is what you should choose. So uh, whether actually, you're at a school or you're at a food bank where you're uh, once a week, you're driving once a week for meals on wheels, or you're volunteering to be a coach somewhere. You're you're helping a, a friend um, who's you know trying to get their masters, and you're giving them you know a couple of days of free daycare so they can study longer. There's so many little ways that we can make a difference. Um, if you just start looking around, something will come to you. And planting those seeds, tying it back to something else you said, right? And that I, I keep thinking about too, with the physical fitness and that concept, I feel like too often it gets kind of pushed aside in schools, but it's that seed is so important because you might not see a result that day, that semester, right. that year in a student, but to create that foundation for their lives. I mean, you know, working at fitness too, I see it all the time. People being like, wow, I wish that I knew how to take better care of my body. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. I'm glad I am now, but boy, would I be in such a better place if I had a better, stronger foundation built in schools. And that is what you guys are all doing each and every day throughout the country. It, it really is exciting. And, and what's so cool about fitness, there's no timestamp on it. You mm -hmm. can be five years old and decide you want to be more fit and you can. Yes. And the other thing that I think is really cool about fitness, particularly for kids, well, us, us grownups too, is that within about two to three weeks, they'll see a difference. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I can only do five sit-ups and now I'm doing 25. That immediate feedback yeah. is so motivating for them because yeah. I can jump rope a minute or two longer. I can do the, it's, it's crazy, crazy good yeah. how fast our body will respond to movement. I mean, it's amazing yeah. uh, how quick, how quickly the body will go. Oh, I got this. So you see it in your work as an instructor. Yes. And of course we see that with our kids too. Yes, absolutely. And now Stacey, tell us where we can find more about Project Fit America, follow you. And I loved your YouTube channel. So mention that as well, please. <laughs> okay. We are in our social media uh, on Twitter. Our handle is Fit America. We have a, a Project Fit Facebook page, which is Project Fit America. YouTube is Project Fit America. And then we have a website um, and that's projectfitamerica.org. And um, donations are encouraged and all donations, large or small, make a huge difference. So we're, um, after coming back off of COVID, you know, this, the need to help schools is phenomenal. So anything and everything we can get our hands on, um, you know, that's, that's what, where we want to be. We did start a pandemic PE page that was helpful for the schools and just trying to 
re-engage them because the, the educational community has been through so much during the last two years. And it's, uh, it's just been really hard. And any, any parent can tell you, you know, what their kid has been going through has been really difficult. So the sooner we can help these kids to be active on a regular basis, the more we're enriching their mental health and helping them to get back on track to, to all the goals in their life, because all roads lead back to, you know, good health. Stacy, thank you so much for sharing this with me today. I love it. And it's any opportunity that we have to share our message. Um, that that's, that's just exciting. And we're grateful for, for you to give us an audience and a place to share this message because um, one person can make a difference. And maybe, you know, if I think sharing the be the good is now more than ever needed. I mean, you could have done this 10 years ago. It would have been valid and important and marvelous. But we live in times now where positivity and the vibration of positivity, um, we have to focus on, on, on deliberately bringing that element into our life. It doesn't just land in our laps right now. We're, we're, we've, we've all been struggling for, for positivity. And so I think your message and the work you're doing is very important. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's definitely brought me so much joy to get to do this for sure and share people's messages because there are, there's so many wonderful people doing great things. Thanks so much for listening to Be The Good with Kate Cherichello. Whether you're listening on YouTube or via podcast, it would mean the world if you like, subscribed, and or left a review. You heard about the good? Now go out and be the good in your life this week. If you have stories of good news that need to be shared, please send me a message. Thanks again and have a great week.